Good. Excellent. Yes, we did have a wonderful time. About 40 blokes went away for Friday night, Friday, Saturday. And let me just say to you who were all worried, thank you, about the weather, we could see it over north and we knew it was behind us at uh, Stanwood Tops. It rained for about five minutes and that was it. No, we, oh, a little tiny bit of wind, but nothing like I heard was happening either side of us. And we just had the best time. So, yeah, it was awesome. So we're going to try and do that again at uh, some point and, and um, enjoy it. There was no fire sticks. <laughs> I'm lying. Um, okay, what's our theme for the year? Tim told us. One, it's there. Okay, it's one. That's right. And the verse that uh, Nathan has, uh, uh, that we're working through for this theme. My prayer, this is Jesus speaking, is not for them alone. Jesus is saying this. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So it's not just for the disciples, he's saying. It's also for those who hear the disciples' message, which is you and I. 2,000 years later, we're hearing his message and we're responding to it. That all of them may be one. That's all of us to be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's community, that's unity, that's relationship. That's what he's talking about. And uh, as we go throughout this year and as uh, those who are on the platform preach, we'll be considering how this theme and this verse works out, okay? Nathan gave me a sermon heading for today. All for one and one for all. How cool is that? I thought, what a, great, what a great sermon heading to choose from. All for one, one for all. It's very clever. Who knows where it comes from? The Musketeers, yes. The movie or the novel? Has anyone read the novel? One person. You've read the novel. Two people. Who was the author? Oh, you got it right. Yes, Alexander Demos. I didn't know that. I had to look that up. Written, uh, was first published in 1844. All for one, one for all. And I was thinking about this. I thought this really speaks about unity, isn't it? So I gave it an interpretation. We are for Jesus as Jesus is for us. We are for Jesus as Jesus is for us. And that's very much the verse up on the wall here. John 17 that I just read out. John 17, 20 to 21. We are for Jesus as Jesus is for us. Have a look at this. This is amazing. This these verses here from Paul really speak about the fullness of unity expressed in this word one. You can count them off as I go through if you like. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. How many were there? Seven, that's right. Seven ones. Starts with the body, ends with the Father. But those last words, he is, or this is over all, through all, and in all, contained in all. That's what oneness is about. That's what unity is all about, okay? That's why I believe Nathan's been given this theme this year, to talk about how we as a church come together and make an impact on the community around us. Now, Nathan used another word last week to speak about unity. Can anyone remember what the, the word for the unity he spoke about? He sang about it. 
Do you remember what he sang? We are family. That's right. The word family is what? It was actually a big slide. It said family. It's good to know that you're going to forget everything I'm going to say today. <laughs> Ooh, okay. That's why we have life group resources, isn't it? <laughs> family is very much about unity. That was his theme last week. And uh, we're going to be, you know, looking at these types of themes. Now, can anyone give me some other illustrations that Jesus might have used to describe fa- uh, unity? He uses family. What's another one? The body. The body. Another one. An army. An army. The, tr- the Trinity is, yes, but more so about how he describes the church. Community. Vine and branches, yes. A marriage, yes. More particularly, the bride. That's another one, isn't it? Yeah. A flock of sheep. That's another one. What about the temple? He uses that, is it? He uses buildings as another one. And another one he uses is God's household is another word that Jesus will use. Okay, so these are all the, the picturesque words. Um, Vine, I think we said that, vine and, uh, and, and yeah. So they're the words he uses, and it's the word body that I want to look at this morning, okay? It's the word body. Oh, what happened? Where'd it go? Here we go. Who knows what that is? Okay, yes, there you go. That's the Latin name. I'm not going to try and say it. I'll try. Facilia utriculus, the Indo-Pacific Portuguese man of war pretty fancy name for it. That's what we call it the blue bottle. And if you've seen one on the beach, um, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Hopefully not that big. That would be really annoying for surfers, wouldn't it? If they're that big. I want to show you something. I was reading about this guy. This is my illustration, okay, for today. I know there's lots of illustrations. I've just used them for you. But I reckon this is a great illustration of the church, the blue bottle. Now, I find them all the time when we go to the beach. I don't know why that is, but they always seem to be there and they annoy me very much. But I read this about, and I think this is quite fascinating, about these little creatures. They are not a singular multicellular organism. Now, we're a multicellular organism, but they are not. They are a colony of specialised, minute individuals called zoids. These zoids are attached to one another and physiologically integrated to the extent that they are incapable of independent survival. Did you know that? There you go, trivial pursuit right there for you. The things you learn in church. They are a colony of specialised, minute individuals called zoids. And these zoids are attached to one another and physiologically integrated to the extent that they are incapable of independent survival. What does that mean? Well, can you see that? This is, let me try and explain it to you. This is how it works. It's composed of these three types of zoids, which are also polyps. And then there is many tentacles, and there's also this associated gas-filled air sac that's called a pneumatophore or sail. Probably easy to remember as a sail. And this gas-filled bladder allows it to float on the surface of the water. It's propelled by the currents and the tides like a sail on a ship. And that's why they float along 
and end up on shore or out where you're swimming, okay? Now, the three polyps are known as this. The dactylzoid, you'll see that, that's for the defence. The gonozoid, that's for its reproduction. And the gastrozoid, it's for the feeding, its stomach. Together, the four parts plus the tentacles make up one blue bottle. Something that is very painful if you ever get stung, okay? Very bad. Has anyone ever been stung by a blue bottle? Put up your hand. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're horrible, okay? But each part in and of itself, those four parts, let me go back to it, those four parts cannot live independent of themselves, even though they are separate individual parts. They have to join together and live together as one to be a blue bottle. Well, I find that amazing. There's this little creature we've got on our beach. You just think it's an annoying little blue thing. But God is so amazing in his creation. And they are physiologically integrated and capable of independent survival. I reckon that's a great illustration of what Paul is trying to get across about Christ's body, the church. This is us. Let me show it to you. I'll, I'll put it in Paul's words. Okay, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If your foot should say, because I'm not a head, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we, we uh, bestow the greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which... Our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour in part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members on it. Now Paul's just given this anatomy course for us. That's why I went to the blue bottle. I think it's a lot quicker. There's a lot of writing there, but he's trying to get the point across, and hopefully you can pick it up as he's writing all about it. It's like Paul is saying, we are physiologically integrated and capable of independent survival. So let's unpack what Paul has to say if we're going to understand about Christ's body on earth, the church, okay? The first point I want to make is this. There's a misunderstanding about this body. Number one. Now, I hear people say... I don't have to be a part of the church. 
to be a Christian. I don't have to be a part of the church to be a Christian. And I believe that is so untrue. You can't read those verses and say you can't be a part of the church. I don't need to be a part of the church if I'm a Christian. He says this in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, you can't just hive off the finger, the hand, the eye can just, I don't want you anymore. I can just live over here on my own. I'll call myself part of the body, but I'm not going to be a part of it. It just doesn't work, Paul tells us. It just does not work. You cannot be a part of a, you cannot be a Christian and not be a part of God's church. Now there's a reason for this. Okay? It's because of this. To have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and empowering you with spiritual gifts, it reveals that you're part of something bigger than yourself. You are part of Jesus' body on earth. And if the Holy Spirit is living in you, there's a reason why he does that. Because you are Christ's vine, bride, temple, building, household, army, all those words he uses. That's who you are. And this is the very point Paul's making in verse 11 at the beginning of uh, uh, chapter 12. I didn't read that out to you, but he tells us by having the Holy Spirit in you, you are automatically endowed with at least one spiritual gift. At least one. So if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, and you have a gift from the Spirit. And those spiritual gifts are not for your use, but to be used on others. His body, the church. He says it this way. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, the manifestation of the Spirit is the gifts, and he's just talked about them in the, in the in, sorry, in 8, 9, and 10. He's going to tell you a bit about them. And they're found in other parts of the New Testament. But to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. And he's talking about that to everyone. So if you're a Christian, you have a gift. The Spirit's endowed you with it. He's placed it in you. And he's saying, as you're part of the body, you need to use it for the body. You can't do that alone. It's used for the common good. You cannot be an island as a Spirit-filled Christian. Because the Holy Spirit gifts you. That's the reason why you can't be an island as a Christian. The Holy Spirit gifts you. He gifts you with either gift or gifts. He gifts you with gifts to use in God's body, the church. Second point, ready? The church is made up of many parts, but it is one body. Okay, he says this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. It's interesting there that, see how he says, many parts, one body. Many parts, one body. I think if I could summarise that, it's variety with unity. Would that be right? Variety with unity. One, many parts, one body. Do you know how many... Uh, Parts make up your body? Some more than others, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking about parts here, okay? Look, of course, you, to find that answer, where do you go? You type it into Google. I did it, and this is what it came up with. I have one brain, hopefully, 
one nose, one mouth, two eyes, two auditory apparatuses, four limbs, 206 bones, 600 muscles. I have blood cells enough to circle the earth twice, 40,000 chemical enzymes, millions of neurons, and billions of interconnections among them, and then there's many other parts which haven't yet been discovered or named. Just the cover itself. <laughs> now, you're an amazing creature. Our God is an amazing God. I think the blue bottle's amazing. It's got nothing in comparison to you and to me. How's that for variety? That is amazing. Our bodies are absolutely amazing. And God has put them together. Variety plus unity. Many parts, one body. The church is that. Third point, though, is how is this one body created? And Paul makes this very clear. How does the one body, many members, come into being? Like this. For in one spirit we were all baptised into one body. Baptised into one body. Paul tells us, by being baptised in the Holy Spirit, we are baptised into the one body. Now, that word baptised, in Greek, is the word baptizo, and it means to be immersed. It means to be immersed. Now, if you have been baptised in water, in a church or at a, at, a, at a lake or in a river, you were illustrating what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Hopefully that would have been explained to you. Because baptism is a living illustration, you're the living part, of what we do when we hand our lives over to Christ, isn't it? The whole illustration is we die to ourself, so we go down under the water, immersed under the water, into the grave is the illustration, we go down under the water. And that's the whole illustration of death. Then what do we do? We rise up. In Christ we rise, we come back out of the water, hopefully if the person baptising you will let you, doesn't keep you under there too long, you will get back up. You will rise back up coming out of the water, rising to new life. That's the whole That's the resurrection, isn't it? That's the whole story. You see, in the water, we are immersed. We are baptised. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. We are immersed. We are baptised. And the whole illustration is our, our old life is gone and our new life has risen with the Holy Spirit in us. That's the illustration. And I say that from a verse that comes like this. This is what Paul says in eight, Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so if the Holy Spirit dwells in you who raised Jesus from the dead, see, the Holy Spirit's role is to bring about resurrection. Jesus got back up because the Spirit allowed him to rise from the dead to new life. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. It is the Spirit that brings us back to life, the Holy Spirit. Our old life has gone, our new life has risen with the Holy Spirit in us. So you read a verse like this, this is Jesus speaking in Acts 1. John baptised with water, 
but you will be baptized with, and now that word with in Greek can be the in or with, the choice is when you're reading it. So it can say you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I believe um, that this is what Jesus wants us to know. I believe baptism in the Spirit does happen at our conversion. We are completely immersed in Him. Verse 13 says that. All were made to drink of one Spirit. And when you drink something, what do you do? You take it into you. The Spirit enters. And here's the important point to note here. There are not many Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. You don't have one spirit and I have another spirit. It's not how it works. There's only one God, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit, one Trinity, one triune God. There's only one Holy Spirit. He is in you and he is in me at the same time. It is the Holy Spirit that unites us together as one because he is one. That's why I can call you brother and sister. Because you have the same Holy Spirit that I have. That's our connection. That's what brings us together. This is an an extremely important point. For those of you who are mathematical, let me do a little equation here for you. One Holy Spirit in many members equals one body. The Holy Spirit's our common denominator. That's what sets us all apart as one. That's why we can say we are one body. We are one bride because he indwells us. So it's not that unlike the blue bottle, is it? We're joined together in Christ through the Holy Spirit, incapable of living independent lifestyles. That's why he's trying to bring us together with these illustrations. Body parts cannot live independently. And that's what Paul's telling us in all those verses from 14 to 27, that that whole length of stories that he's telling us. You can't live independent. Just as God's church is baptised or immersed into the Holy Spirit, we cannot live independently of each other. We need each other. And that's why from verses 14 to 27 that we read out, he says, through this long illustration of how the body interacts, that a Christian should never think that they can be independent or self-sufficient, or better than another person. We can't live self-sufficiently. We should never think I'm better than the person next to me or around me, because we are filled by the one spirit. Fourthly, the outcome of the one spirit in many members, one body. Now, you see, as an individual's importance within the body of Christ, it's not based on their uniqueness alone but it's shared equally throughout the whole body. My uniqueness is for you. My gifting is for you. I believe I have been endowed through the Holy Spirit to have the gift of teaching. Okay, I hope that is the case. Some of you can verify that after when you come up to me. That sucks. Well, that was really bad. I will understand that I don't longer have it. Okay, hopefully you'll go, thank you. You don't have to, by the way. This is the Spirit. This is God's. But you know what? I get this sense, the reason I'm here. In fact, one of the reasons why this is my full-time position is because 
I believe God has given me the gift of teaching. And therefore, Nathan saw this and invited me to come onto team because he saw this as important to give to the body. See, so my teaching is not for me. It's actually for you. I have the gift of teaching for you. You have the gift of, hopefully you know what it is, service, not for you, but to serve me and those people around you. Beck has the gift of prophecy. Imagine that, sitting around going, thank you, God, for all this prophecy and just telling it to herself. Where does that get her? A big head. Wow. Information. That's all it is. But if she gets up and shares it with the body, then we as a body get to grow together. Okay? So it's why it's important that the outcome of the one Holy Spirit in us, in the many members, creates the one body. In other words, I get to share in your importance as you share in mine. Just because I'm the pastor at the church and I'm the pastor over you, the flock, does not make me any more important than you. That's why Paul tells us in uh, Peter that we are all priests in God's church. Believer priests. I'm no more important than you are. I just get paid not to be an electrician because that's my trade. I get paid not to be an electrician and I get to teach you. And I love it. I love the journey. But if you're not in a paid position, that doesn't make you any less. You are just as important to bring your gift to the body. That's why you need to know what your gift is for a start. So that you can give your gift to me as I give my gift to you. And just have a look at the person next to you. Uh, quickly, look at the person next to you. Because they've got a gift they have for you. And you have a gift to give to them. That's how integrated we are. That's what he's trying to say. You are significant because I am significant. I am significant because you are significant. Can I make it any plainer? I have, I have done a well enough job. And you are significant. I'm looking out upon you. I love it. Okay? The church is greater than anything that this world has to offer. It's greater than anything this world can create. Who's got an iPhone? Put up your hand if you have an iPhone. No. no? You know what they say, so I've heard, it's the best invention in the 21st century. Those who have Androids are going, no. Nah. <laughs> I don't have an iPhone, okay? When was the first one created? First iPhone? 29th of June 2007. It's coming up for its 10th anniversary, okay? Now, people say this is an amazing piece of equipment. It changes the way we do life. It did on Friday night, didn't it, Marcelo? Yes. We sat up to one o'clock listening to these 80s songs. And that iPhone was well used. It was hot. Hot in his hand, it was, as he's bringing up those songs. Okay. It's an ingenious piece of electronic technology, they say. And it is. It has changed your life. You have no doubt about it, do you? We take it so much for granted after 10 years of having them. But there's something that's even far greater than Steve Jobs' invention. Far greater. And in fact, without it, it would almost cause the iPhone to be obsolete. It's this. The index finger. Which... Steve Jobs did not create. 
Now, I have been told by my son that the thumb is the new index finger because you have to swipe right. Now, imagine the iPhone without the finger. I can't get the buttons, Steve. Make the buttons bigger. Maybe on my nose. I can't see the screen. You need the index finger for the iPhone, and Steve Jobs did not create that. Okay? That's how important the index finger is. Which one of you in our church, in our body, is an index finger? You might be saying, I'm just an index finger. I haven't got much to offer this world, this church. Well, the iPhone needs you. (laughs) And we as a church need you. You get my point? We as a church need you. Don't ever say, I'm just whatever. That is not true. You are more than anything this world has to create. You see, the world will say it has answers to the needs of people, but they are fruitless and they're ineffective. It is the church, Christ's body on earth, that can lead lost people to the true answers of life. The iPhone's not the true answer. You have the true answer within you, and you can lead people to that through Christ. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. You might think that you're only an index finger, but when connected to the rest of the body and powered by the Holy Spirit, you can interact with the world and you can make a difference in your home, in your workplace, in your street. You have a place and a role and an importance in playing your part in the body. In fact, I will go even as far to say, I need you to play your part in the body. I need you to play your part. And you need me and you need those people next to you to play your part, to play their part. The important thing is it's your calling. It's your calling. Have a look. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As he chose. Listen to me. You've got to, you've got to know this. Of all the things, remember nothing. Listen to this. You are not a part of God's church, his body, because of some random chance. You are not a part of his body because of some random chance. You are not sitting here, you are not saved by Christ because of some random chance. God has been proactive in choosing and placing you in his body in the position he desires for you. That's why you need to find out what part that is and you need to live it out. I need you. You need me. That's the way we do life. Paul says it this way. For just as each of us has one body with many members, wow, if only he could have said that in Corinthians, he would have saved a lot of room, wouldn't he? Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. We belong to each other. Why? To complete Christ's body. Okay? Again, he says, and God placed all things under his feet, that's Christ, and he appointed him, that's Christ, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I individually live in and for the entire body of Christ. 
Now, you might say, well, that's your job, Ken. <laughs> no, it's not. My job is an electrician. You just pay me to be your pastor because you want a pastor. I get to share. I need you to be doing your role. So let's remove the finance out of this. I need you just to be part of the body. I need you to be alive within the body of Christ. Okay? It's your calling, but my actions affect others. My actions affect others. And this is an important point. What I do or I do not do affects you. What I do or what I don't do affects you. Paul says it this way. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. (laughs) Individually members. How do we do that? (laughs) See, he's again bringing that unity. But this is what happens, isn't it, when we come together. My actions affect you. That's why it's important that we weep with our brothers and sisters in Christ when they're hurting. When Craig got cancer, we as a church wept with him, didn't we? That's why we rejoice with them when they're celebrating. Last week we had Craig up on the platform sharing with us how this cell um, uh, work that's going on in his body is fighting the cancer and we get to rejoice with him. That's the whole process. When one part suffers, we suffer. When one part rejoices, we rejoice. That's how interconnected we are in his body on this earth. Now, you know if you have a sore part on your body right now, how it is affecting the rest of your body. Our brother David's not here, is he? I'm going to say it in case he's listening, because he is hurting. Dave Wright. But he's not even here with us because he hurts so much. And we've got to be going, wow, this brother is suffering. What do we do? How do we pray? I'd use Thomas. Thomas fell off a ladder. He was so high up at work the other day, two rungs. (laughs) I had to say this. He fell off two rungs. Now, you know, hey. But he fell onto the doorknob. Yes, we all feel for you. And he had a bruise like this, just here. Don't get him to show it, because he's very quick to do that. Okay. And a week and a half later, it's still bruised. And when he went into the doctor, the doctor said, well, you look like you're walking with a carrot. But... And that's what Thomas walked like. He was in so much pain walking like this. Now, he just hit his side, but the whole body suffered. It was painful to watch him. For me, it was painful to watch him. But you see, if you're suffering in the church, it affects me. And I don't want you to suffer. And we as a church collectively come together for the body and say, how can we help you? How can we care for you? It's important that we do that. So let me close. I've gone on long enough. How do we get real and take action? Well, you've got a part to live out. Okay? You've got a part to live out. Let me give you a very important piece of biblical teaching here. And this is why we have to do this. In order for Jesus to accomplish his work on earth, you think about this. Jesus in the flesh 
Now, none of us were there at the time, I'm guessing. None of us were there when Jesus walked around on this earth for those 33 years. But he had a body made of flesh and blood to do that. God the Son, who'd spent all eternity with his Father as one, born through a virgin, brought to this earth. He's given a body to walk around on. But in order to accomplish his work once he went back to the Father, what happens? Well, Jesus has a body made of human beings on earth who will walk around for him, doing his work, because he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in authority, in power. And he has a body that walks around on earth for him. Here we are. Here we are. And you know what? Jesus was fully man, fully God. 100% man, 100% God. And you know what? Jesus' body on earth is fully man, here we are, and fully God, the Holy Spirit. That's the body on earth. We need each other because we represent Christ to the nations. Now, I'm not talking just about LifeGate. It's got to be bigger than that. There are other churches in our community and there's a church in the world. So we are part of the bigger church. It's called the Kingdom of God. But I'm speaking to you as the congregation, so I'm talking to you about LifeGate as a body. And we are part of the bigger body, but don't get me thinking... Don't, sorry, don't fall into the trap that I'm just talking about life gate. But for the sermon this morning, it is about us. How do we do life together? Because your part is to live it out. Yours and my calling is to get to know our gifts or gift and engage in the use of it or them so that Christ might be glorified. That's an important part. But secondly... Um, secondly, you're equipping, and this is it. This is what Paul tells us. All these, and he's talking about these gifts, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice what Paul's teaching here. The Holy Spirit wills the gifts to us. What does that mean? Well, he determines what is the best position that you can play in the body. The Holy Spirit then apportions or allocates them to you. So he knows you. He knows the part you play in the body. And so he assigns you with what your need, to do, what you need to do in your role in the body. And then the Holy Spirit empowers you to live them out. So he enables you to exercise your gifts within the church body. So you're not left on your own to play your part as an island. He wills, he apportions, he empowers. That's what we need. He chooses what you need, he imparts it to you, and then he empowers you to live it out. My question with you is, do you know this? I'm going to ask the band to come on up. We're going to stand and have a song. He chooses what you need, imparts it to you, and then empowers you to live it out. Do you know your gift in the body? 
That's an important point, an important question that you need to ask yourself. What is the gift or the gifts that you have? And secondly, are you living it out? I suppose they're the questions you need to talk to me about or talk about it in your life group. Ask a friend or your spouse, what do you think my gift is? Because you know what, I guarantee you're already doing it. That's how you know pretty much how you have a gift. <laughs> you're already caught up in it because it's what the Spirit has endowed you with. Okay? Thank you.